Okay, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. Our text today will be uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and we'll be looking at that, but I'm not going to get to it about, until about halfway through the uh, message today. You wanna, might want to turn to it. This will be the second to last message that I'll be taking specifically from the pastoral letters of Paul. And uh, you've had quite a lengthy series of messages, but uh, we'll be bringing that in for a landing here pretty shortly. One of the most well-known passages of a scripture is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We call this the Great Commission. Commission. Some of you know that, right? The Great Commission. Yeah, we call this the Great Commission. Now read it or say it with me if you know it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, Jesus' followers were called disciples. And throughout the four Gospels, Jesus is engaged in making disciples. This saying of his appears at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, after Jesus has risen from the dead and before he's ascended into heaven. It is essentially his marching orders for his disciples and for us as the church. Now, given the emphasis on making disciples in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus in these books is engaged uh, heavily in investing in his disciples and teaching them, uh, bringing them along in their faith in him. And given uh, the emphasis that he puts on the activity of disciple making here in this Great Commission verse, we would uh, anticipate and expect that throughout the rest of the New Testament, disciple-making would be heavily emphasized. Interestingly, uh, the word disciple does not appear in the New Testament after the book of Acts. It's uh, heavily in the four Gospels, it's in the book of Acts, but after that, in all of the epistolary literature, that is all the letters of Paul and the other gospel writers, the word disciple or discipleship or disciple making is not used. Why this is so is somewhat of a mystery. However, uh, we need to say that even though they were not using that particular term, they were heavily engaged in the activity of what we would describe as making disciples. And I want to show you how this is true in the case of 
the Apostle Paul, particularly with respect to his uh, disciple Timothy, and uh, as the evidence is shown here in the pastoral letters of Paul, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and in Titus as well. So I want to tell you the story of Paul and Timothy. Some of you are familiar with this, but let me just uh, repeat it for you and highlight some things. Paul, you know, was a missionary. He went on a number of missionary trips, four, we think, and uh, he meets Timothy on the second of his missionary journeys. All right, so Timothy is actually from this town here, Lystra in Asia Minor. On his first missionary journey, Paul went and evangelized in this area, in these towns. He started some churches and also got run out of town a couple of times. Uh, but uh, on his second missionary journey, he decides to go back to this same region and see how the churches are doing to encourage them, to help them. And then he goes on farther to the west and does other evangelistic work as well. But when he goes back to this Asia and uh, this area in Asia Minor and goes back to the town of Lystra, he becomes acquainted with a young man named Timothy. Timothy was well spoken of by the other Christians, the other members there in the church, and he apparently displayed great potential for, uh, for, for the gospel ministry. So Paul perceives that and he invites Timothy to go along with him on his second missionary journey. And Timothy joins Paul and his other helper. Now at this point, Silas is Paul's primary missionary associate. And so in the chapters following Acts chapter 16 where Paul meets Timothy, you don't hear too much about Timothy. Paul invites him to go along and takes him with him. But after that, it's just Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, they do this, they do that. We, we know that Timothy's along, but apparently at this stage of their relationship, he's just observing. He's just learning. He's taking things in and maybe helping along the way. At a particular point, uh, several chapters later, we learn that Paul leaves Silas and Timothy behind in a particular location to continue ministry there while Paul goes in another direction for a little while. But this is a... This is a uh, arising a, a uh, an increase in the vi visibility of Timothy. He is now ministering alongside another helper of Paul, Silas, doing ministry in a location while Paul is somewhere else. Well, Silas and Timothy join Paul and they continue on in their ministry. But later on, uh, as we read through the gospel accounts and the letters, we see that Paul not only sends Timothy with an associate, but Paul begins to send Timothy out on his own to various different locations to uh, assist Paul, to carry on Paul's missionary activity. So again, we see that Timothy is taking on more responsibility, and Paul is able now, uh, as he has grown in the missionary endeavor, he's able to entrust him with more responsibility. Uh, Timothy actually uh, ar arises to become, a, to join the inner core of Paul's disciples there, and uh, really becomes the foremost of Paul's apprentices and associates. Paul says of Timothy, there is no one that I have who is like 
Timothy. He, he actually becomes someone who Paul mentions as a co-author of some of his letters, you see. So uh, the reason that I'm narrating this history is to show how Paul would take these young Christian people with potential and teach them and help them get started in ministry to the place where they actually could carry on ministry by themselves. And so um, that's what I want to show you, that Paul was actually a disciple maker. We see further evidence that Paul was a disciple maker in the way that he referred to his helpers. Uh, notice this in 1 Timothy, in the beginning where he's gives who, who writes the book and who uh, the, the book is to, or the letter is to. Paul says, and, uh, Paul introducing himself, I am an, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now notice how he addresses Timothy, to whom the letter is written. To Timothy, my true, what? Tell me. My true son in the faith. He refers to Timothy as his son in the faith in a very family-oriented way. All right, then notice 2 Timothy as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear, tell me, my dear son. And uh, when he writes to Titus, another of his associates, he addresses him in a similar way. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to Titus, my true, what? Son in our common faith. Now, let me just uh, draw out from that what that means. Uh, Paul refers to these helpers as if they were his child, that is, someone who he's brought into the faith and someone who he has nurtured up through spiritual infancy, spiritual childhood, spiritual adolescence, and spiritual adulthood where they can themselves reproduce other believers in ministry. So Paul was engaged in this discipleship ministry. We see this by the way that he refers to his helpers. We see uh, also that there's evidence of Paul um, as a disciple maker in the way that he speaks about or he speaks to these helpers in his letters here. Um, Paul uh, says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, he says, join me in suffering for the gospel. In other words, he's drawing Timothy into the, his own activity. He's acting as the leader and he's calling Timothy to follow him. Another passage says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. He's using his own example, his own self as a pattern. And he says, now you follow me. This is my, I'm the pattern. You follow what I do. You see, this is a discipling concept. And throughout these letters, Paul is, is, is instructing them. He's encouraging them. He's uh, passing along information. He's counseling them as you would expect someone in a discipling relationship to do. Uh, then let me just point out finally that Paul anticipates that when he dies, Timothy is going to carry on his apostolic work. We can see this in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience. You know all about me. 
because you've been watching me. I've been teaching you all along. And then in verse 14 of 2 Timothy, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and be, have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Most of it he learned from Paul. So he's, he's encouraging him to continue in what he's learned from Paul. When we come to chapter 4, Paul is telling Timothy, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. Uh, do these things that I've taught to you. And then notice what Paul says here in verses 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy. He says, For, I'm telling you to do this because I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul says, I'm about to check out of this place. I'm about to go to my heavenly reward. And that looks great. But, he says, I have trained you. I have discipled you. I have brought you up. Now you continue on in the ministry when I am already gone. You see Paul here engaged in this matter of discipling. Paul had this kind of relationship not only with Timothy, but with a number of other men. Uh, and so he mentions a number of these in chapter 4. He talks about Demas and Crescens and Titus, Luke, Mark, Tychicus, Erastus, Trophimus. And there's others that are mentioned in other places. Timothy wasn't the only one. There were many of these disciples that Paul had. So uh, the whole point of what I'm trying to show you about Paul's example is here, he was not a lone wolf type of missionary or evangelist who just went out there and did everything himself. No, he was intent on raising up others, making disciples, bringing young Christians up in the Lord and in the ministry of the gospel so that they could continue and extend the ministry of the gospel that he was engaged in. Now, all of this comes to, uh, is all encapsulated in a single verse here in 2 Timothy, which is our text for today, 2 Timothy 2.2, a very important verse. You ought to know this verse and be very familiar with it. Now, let me put it in context a little bit by reading a verse from first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. So let's pick it up there. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So there's that idea. I'm the pattern. I gave you the sound teaching. Keep it. And now verse chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my, what? My son, there's that discipling relationship. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here it is, verse 2. The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now just take a moment and let that sink in. He says, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul points out four generations of believers in this little verse here. There's Paul. He's got the gospel. 
Well, somebody give it to him, so that would be a fifth generation. But Paul's got the gospel. He has passed it along to Timothy. Timothy's got the precious deposit of the gospel. He urges Timothy to pass that on to other reliable men or reliable people who will, in turn, be able to pass it on to others also. Four generations. Do you see this vision of discipleship that Paul has? He's got this discipling in, his, in the DNA of his very ministry. He's got this vision for passing the gospel on to others who can pass it on to others, who can keep on passing it on to others in subsequent generations of believers and subsequent, subsequent generations in time as well. This needs to be not only a part of Paul's strategy, this, need, this, this kind of discipling strategy needs to be a part of the local church DNA as well, if the gospel is going to go on from one generation to the next. The critical importance, brothers and sisters, of uh, this kind of thinking with regard to the gospel can be easily seen if we just try to envision, imagine what the church would be like if we don't engage in this kind of activity. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. What if Jesus had come to earth and been successful in displaying the glory of God to the whole earth and been successful in accomplishing his death on the cross so our sins could be forgiven and risen up from the grave? But what if he had failed in making disciples? What would have happened to the gospel? Would have fallen down flat. All he'd, all he'd done wouldn't have gone anywhere. Imagine with me, if Paul had been an, a super-duper evangelist, the Billy Graham of the first century, right? He's out there winning all these people for Christ. But can you imagine what would happen to his ministry or what have been the result of his ministry after he would have died if he didn't raise up these other disciples to continue on the work? Well, he might have made a splash for a while, but it certainly wouldn't have been as much uh, of effect as it was with the disciplings that he, the disciples that he had made and the discipling that he had done. Now, I, I want you to just think with me the effect on a local church if they uh, love the Lord, they love being saved, they love getting together, they love having fellowship with one another, but they're just content to enjoy their own faith but never ever pass it along to anybody else. What's going to be the effect on the local church? Well, the believers are going to get older and older. They're still going to be happy, but they're going to get fewer and fewer, and pretty soon that church is going to shrivel up and die because there's nobody passing on the gospel from one generation down to the next. Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, told us that we are to make disciples, brothers and sisters, and so to fail to make disciples is in essence to be disobedient to that command. You see, it was the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, right? This is not really an option for us. This is something we must do, but more than that, if we don't get involved in making disciples, there won't be any disciples for us to 
get together with and fellowship after a time. The church will be slowly dying of, attri uh, of attrition. For the, for the church, discipleship is not an option. It really is a matter of do or die. Now let me just clarify here what I'm talking about when I'm saying making disciples. I'm not just talking about winning converts. Jesus didn't say go make converts. He said make disciples. So making disciples, I mean winning people to Christ is part of the discipling thing. We've got to uh, preach the gospel. We've got to baptize people. But uh, the Great Commission also has that second very important part which sometimes goes ignored. To teach those that have come into Christ, all things that the Lord has taught us to observe. We've got to teach and bring them up. Even as Paul brought Timothy up in the Lord, to the place where he's effective in service and discipleship. And notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says we are to entrust the gospel to reliable people who can in turn teach others also. There's this teaching and bringing up and nurturing in the Lord that's involved in this matter of disciple-making. So uh, that is a very critical and crucial part of it as well. Now Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. In so doing, he compares disciple-making to child-rearing or to parent parenting, as it were. Now, let's just take a moment and think here with me. Those of you who have had children and tried to raise them, all right? Can you, what is, what is child rearing like in a word or two? How would you describe it? Challenging. What else? Hard? Time consuming? Any other words? Rewarding? A big responsibility? Yeah. First responsibility? A first responsibility, okay. Todd, you got a word back there? Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if discipleship is like parenting or child rearing, you know, it's going to be difficult challenging, hard, uh, but rewarding, important, you know, things that we've got to do. And it is also risky. You know, you can do the best job in the world of bringing up these kids and they still get to a place where they can just decide to go off in the other direction. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, Paul, as he raised up these discipleship, had a few disappointments, as we read about here in uh, his word. Um, in uh, 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including, and he mentions two of his disciples, Phygelus and Hermogenes. These are apparently people that he raised up in the faith to do work. And notice the, the, almost the, the, the tone of hurt if we can read into his words here in uh, chapter 4 and verse 10 where he says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. One of his children that he raised up to do ministry and got to a point where he says, 
I've had this. I'm going back to, you know, chase my own dreams in the world. You know, you can, you can sense that there. Well, because, because parenting is difficult, challenging, hard, terrible, hurtful, disappointing sometimes, but rewarding as well, do we stop trying to be parents? No, we still keep having kids and, you know, uh, it may be the case that uh, uh, fools rush in where angels dare to tread, right? But the fact of this matter is, if you bring somebody to this world, you've got to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You can't just bring a baby into the world and just let the baby sit there and expect him or her to grow. You've got to be a parent and nurture them. So the same that is true with earthly parenting, I think, is true with discipleship. So it's not a matter of whether or should we do it or do we want to do it. It's something that we must do. And that is the primary truth I feel that we need to grasp on today. Today, We must really get serious about this matter of making disciples in its full-orbed sense, not just in evangelizing people, but learning how to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord to the place where they can serve the Lord uh, productively. Our parking lot evangelism project was all about connecting with the people in our community and learning how to share the gospel with them. And uh, many of you are involved with that. And I believe it was, it was successful. We did learn how to connect with our neighbors. We need to find out where they're at, what their needs are. Then we need to show love to them and build relationships with them. And if we do that, we will have the opportunity to share the gospel with some of them. Some of them will come into the kingdom of God. But what do we do once we've shared the gospel and they've prayed to receive Christ? How do we take them from that place and bring them into the church build connections with them, and then begin to teach them and disciple them and grow them up in the Lord till they get to the place of spiritual maturity. It's a big challenge. One of the greatest needs our church identified, uh, our church has, which we identified at our church prayer retreat um, about a year and a half ago now, uh, was to be more effective at teaching the Word of God and discipling believers. Those were there. I thought that we need to do that to the extent of evaluating everything we do here uh, at our church, including our morning worship service and our Sunday school. How can we better teach God's Word and disciple believers? The greatest challenge I think we face now in our church's life is how to pass the gospel ministry of this church on to another generation so that we can have a ministry here in this area, in this community, not just today, but uh, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, another 50 years down the road. We need to be able to do that. In order to do that, we've got to grasp onto how we can make this discipling thing happen. If you love the Lord and if you love your church, and I believe this matter of discipling ought to be of great importance to you. We must get serious about this matter of making disciples. 
with God's help, I hope we'll make this matter uh, something of great importance for our church in 2016 and in the years to come as we work at that and focus on it and figure out how to do it. And like new parents with a new baby holding him in his arm, you may not know what to do, but you've got to figure it out, right? And we've got to figure out how to make this work because it's really not something we have an option about. So let me challenge you today, first of all, to pray for your church, to pray for each one of us here that we may learn how to make disciples, that this church may become a church that embodies 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So that what Paul described there, this passing the gospel on from generation to generation would be something that would become a reality here in a very powerful and a real way. That's what I want to challenge you to do. First of all, to pray, to get that vision in your head and then to begin to pray that we, God might bring us to that place steadfastly, not just one Sunday, but week after week. Then I want to challenge you personally as a Christian to say, I want to be a disciple maker. I want to obey the Lord and learn how to bring somebody up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How can we together work together? How can we together work as a unit to bring people into the faith and up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? So that's my challenge for you today, that we would take this matter of discipleship seriously as Paul did. It would become a part of our church DNA. We would learn as time goes on how to make this happen in a much more effective way than we are doing now. Finally, let me just say, if you're here today and you're not a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, then you can't make disciples. You've got to be a disciple before you can make disciples. You need to know Christ as your own Lord and Savior. And so let me challenge you today that if you need to know Christ, you would open up your heart and let him in because he wants to be Lord of your life and change your life so that you can know God, be close to him, and have your sins washed away. And you can do that if your heart is open. He's knocking on your heart's door. So open up and let him in. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, your word is plain and clear. We thank you so much that you have saved us, made yourself known to us, and helped us to grow in you. But we cannot be just content to enjoy the benefits of what you've done in our own hearts and lives. We must join Paul and seek to make disciples. We would that our church would be a place where people would come in and learn of you and then learn how step by step to grow in you to spiritual maturity. We know there's growth going on here and we know that you're working in people's hearts and lives, but we're just praying that we can be more effective and uh, more productive in this regard. So help us as we humble ourselves before you and admit we need to do better and we need, we've got a lot to learn. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.